morning. Am I on here? Good morning, Kurt. <laughs> you were sleeping back there. I know you were. Late night shopping, too many children. Oh, I'm sorry. That's my story. <laughs> uh, I do want to get to a couple of announcements before I get us into the word this morning. It's kind of weird to have part of the church here. I'm looking around. What if we had to do this? What if we had to like do part of you guys at one point and part of everybody at another point? That could be in our future. It's not a, not a welcome reality in some ways. It is in our past, yeah. Somebody, somebody said they liked the idea we had a Saturday service and a Sunday service. You know, could we do that again? And I said, yeah, if Katrina hits again, yeah. <clears throat> Pray for that first, and then we'll do that. A um, couple of quick uh, announcements for you that I want to do quickly, but I don't want to underemphasize. Uh, we are very excited to, to ask you to join in an experiment it shouldn't be an experiment. It should be a way of life. But in January, we're going to do something we're calling the 30-30 Spiritual Health Plan. 30 minutes a day for 30 days in the month of January. How exciting would it be for us as a church to have every member of the church at Lakeview Christian Center participating in daily time with God in his word, 30 minutes a day for 30 days. Now listen, you know, that's, that's not a big chunk and that's not that long a period of time. All right, I know January is a new beginning kind of a day for us. Uh, we want to see everybody participating. So we're looking to encourage along the way. That's why we're asking you to, to sign up. Because I, I want to be able to say when we start, hey, there's 500 people on the mission with us. It's 1,000 going with us into this 30-30 plan together. And I want some camaraderie and cheering on and us coming alongside of each other. So we're going to ask for your email so we can maybe send you some notes along the way just to encourage you. If you don't know what the 3030 plan is, if you'll read through this, it'll help you get familiar with that. It'll give you some resources. You don't have to use these resources. They're just some that we think will be very helpful to guide you into some time in the Word during the month of January. All right, one more announcement I want to make sure that our men are paying careful attention to in your bulletin there, top of the announcement list, Men's Conference 2012. We have debated for the last several years whether to take our conference on the road as we do every year because we know there's a number of men who are in the church who just can't make the trip or it can't fit into their weekend. And so we've, we almost didn't do it last year, almost kept the conference local. Well, this year uh, it became clear to us that we wanted to keep the, the conference for men local here to give as many men as possible a chance to participate and then we had the benefit of having Dave Harvey come be a part of that conference. Dave would be in the top list of a few guys that I would want to hear speak. Uh, of all the folks I've listened to through the years, Dave would be near the top. And so you will be affected. You will be greatly ministered to. Dave's got a, a book that we're going to be passing along to you guys called Rescuing Ambition. I think it's a great book, a timely book for men. Uh, it's not just a book for men, but we're going to use it for the men at that conference. So... Uh, whether you've been an attender in the past or not, we want every man in this church to make a priority that weekend of being with us. So if you'll check those dates, January 6th and 7th, it's going to be a Friday night and Saturday, about half the day leading up to lunch. Um, if you work on those times, then, then ask God for grace and ask for time off and watch what God does. And I just want to greatly encourage you, whether it's the 30-30 plan or whether it's the men's conference, you know, God finds means of dumping grace into our lives. 
and, and quite often that means comes through the church and, and what God has given us a burden to do as a church. Please don't treat these means of grace as sort of optional. Well, you know, I'm, I'll see maybe. Maybe this is God wanting to meet with you in a 30-30 plan or in a conference for men in a way that's going to deposit grace into your life that would revolutionize your year this year. So please don't consider it just, well, maybe I can. And look at your calendar and see, see how God would have you to work that out and join us at those two things. And please fill this out. Drop this off because we want to know who's participating. Drop it off on your way out today. If you forget it and just leave it in your chair, that's cool. Uh, just your name and your email address. That's all we need just to be able to encourage you along the pathway of the 3030 plan. Uh, listen, I, I know we're a little different this morning in that there's no child care available uh, for you. Listen, it's not going to bother me at all if you've got to get up and come in and out with your kids. Uh, that's not a problem at all. If you want to sit on the floor somewhere, that's not a problem. You want to get up here, do something, color with them, move around, not a problem. You want to walk in and out the back door. I know the, the, the service is broadcast into the foyer. If you feel like they're getting a little noisy or restless, it might serve the people around you. If you'd be mindful of that and, and take your kids out there if you need to, come back in if they settle down. Stay out there if you'd like. Um, all right. Well, this morning, I want to talk about the Christmas season. I'm one of those guys that just loves the Christmas season. I've always loved the Christmas season. Growing up, I loved the Christmas season. I love just about everything about it, even the things that, that most people hate. You know, I have visions when I was a kid that we would hang the... Uh, the, the lights, the Christmas lights would be right outside my bedroom. So I, and it was something nostalgic about going to bed and outside there was this orange and blue and green and red and right outside the window there. And it just, it made the season special. I was the kid in the house who grew up wanting to be the one to put the decorations up. So if decorations weren't happening, I was all over that. And we were putting decorations up. And uh, I, I mean, I, I, love, I love how everything gets dressed up. For Christmas, you know, no matter where you're going, it's dressed up. You know, it's kind of weird when they take it all down. Everything seems naked. You know, you walk in your house, it's like, oh, house is so ugly. <laughs> um, I love, uh, I love red Starbucks cups. I mean, just you don't have to do much to please me. Just wow, the cool red Starbucks season is here. Uh, I, I love the hustle and bustle of having to run around and, and buy gifts. Uh, I get excited about what can I come up with this, for this one and that one. And, and it does not bother me to go shop in the hecticness. You know, my wife will just, you know, like, I do not want to go out in this. I'm like, I'm good. Uh, and, I, and God gives me grace somehow. I never get a bad parking spot. I know some of you probably hate that. Like you're circling for hours and parking down the block and having to walk to the mall. I just pull right in and there's a spot for me. It's just amazing grace from God. Uh, but, you know, as much as I love this season, it is just that, isn't it? it it's, it's a season. It's this momentary thing. It's, it's a disruption of the common. And I think for some of us, that's, that might be what we love about it as well. It kind of gets our minds off of the day-to-day -day and the routine. And uh, everybody's singing songs and there's special family gatherings uh, together with, with folks that we love and there's lots of good food and just a lot of things we put our minds on that are kind of different than normal life. Uh, one of the Christmas cards that we received from a relative, uh, I think it, it said something on there like, may your whole year 
be filled with peace and joy, right? This is a season of peace and joy. But, you know, kind of the card was great because it's sort of like, you know, oh, that that could just spill out of this little season and invade the rest of your life. And I thought, yeah, that's, that's, that's really what the Christmas story does when you just don't make it a Christmas story, right? So what I want to do today is I want, I want to join the Christmas story with the theological story of the incarnation. And you're like, well, well Keith, obviously that's, that's what the Christmas story is. Yeah, I know, but, you know, in, in the incarnation there's no red Starbucks cups and there's no decorations. So sometimes you can sort of miss the deep theology that's in Scripture about this story that is so incredibly meaningful and so important to joy and peace not being in a season, right? Joy and peace being something that characterizes our lives all year long. I mean, when we sit and sing some of these songs, it's not just like this momentary season, right? For us, it's this lifelong, meaningful encounter with God that happens all the time that we're singing about. It's not just in a season, right? So I want to kind of spill us out of the season a little bit, but I want to take us into the season. I'm not quite sure I know how to use this device, but we'll give it a shot. Oh, here we go. You guys remember the night before Christmas, right? The story that came out, uh, the poem that came out in the uh, early 1800s, it's got a couple hundred years old. It really reprioritized a lot of stuff about, you know, St. Nick, and all of a sudden there was reindeers involved. There weren't reindeers involved before. They had names. Uh, he, was, he was UPS in red. You know, there was a lot of stuff that didn't exist before 200 years ago about this guy, St. Nicholas. But very familiar with the story, right? Hoping I got the right one up here. Yes. It was the night before Christmas when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. Some, some people believe this is the best-known American poem in history. I'm not sure that's true or not, but some people believe that. All right, well, here's, here's the reality of our lives. It's always the night before something, right? I mean, it's unique for us. We're doing a Christmas Eve service. That's, that's kind of new for us. But it's always the night before something in our lives, right? Uh, well, what happens when the incarnation meets the night before our lives, right? Open up your scriptures to... Hebrews chapter 2. This is the incarnation meets the night before. If I were to say to you this morning, say, hey, why don't you guys open up to the Christmas story? You'd, you'd turn to Luke, right? That's where we would go. Or, well, this is sort of the theological commentary on the Christmas story. If I was going to say, hey, turn to the theological commentary on the Christmas story, this is where you'd go. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. there. It says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death we're subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. 
Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Father, thank you for explaining the Christmas story to us. And Lord, I pray this morning, whether we are young or old, or whether our eyes sparkle over the Christmas season, whether we are childlike in this time, Lord, I pray that, that perhaps from this day forward, when we think Christmas story, we will think Hebrews chapter 2. We will remember exactly what this incarnation means for us in this season, but in every season, in every night before of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's a little bit of reality in this story that maybe doesn't show up in the Christmas story. You know, in the Christmas story, there's got some, there's angels, there's shepherds, there's magi, there's stuff that we're familiar with. But in this story, and I'm not sure this character makes his appearance in any story, and, and in most Christmas carols, I don't believe, contain anything about the devil. Right? The devil's, he's kind of not in the Christmas story. But he's in this story, right? Here's, here's how the devil includes in our story. I'm rewriting this poem over and over again today, so just be prepared. "'Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house a creature was stirring, but it wasn't a mouse. His ideas were hung in our thinking with care in hopes that our lives would be filled with despair. See, this little creature that's called the devil, according to this passage, he is full-time employed in the business of lifelong slavery to fear. Right, so we've got that, twas the night before Christmas thing happening, and we're all anticipating the next morning. But, you know, our life is full of the night before something. 364 other nights of the year, you're getting ready in your soul to face something the next day. It right? doesn't always feel like Christmas morning. As a matter of fact, in this passage, look here, verse 15, Jesus has come to deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So in the Christmas story, there is the devil and there's fear in the Christmas story. Right? The incarnation draws our attention to this relentless lifelong activity of, of fear operating in our lives. And, you know, that, that's, that's kind of what makes it hard to have peace and joy throughout the whole year, right? It's not always the most wonderful time of the year for you, is it? I know right now we can get distracted, but it's not always the most wonderful time of the year, and life does not always feel extremely joyful, right? How about but let's visit a couple of seasons here. It was the night before seven, and oh, how I wondered if my family divorce would come in and plunder. My mom seems to sound like she no longer cares. I fear that my dad will soon not be there. All right, that's one of those 364 other nights in the year for 
some seven-year-old child whose parents get to the seven-year itch mark and can't seem to make things work out any longer. And so that child begins to wonder, what will life be like for me when my mom and dad aren't together anymore? And if you've ever walked with children through divorce, it's a scary, scary thing. It doesn't make sense to them. And they, they don't know how to process it. And it's very scary. Well, that season gives way to another season. It was the night before 13. And all through my thoughts, I feared how I'd fit in. And oh, how I thought to not look so different or be noticed at all. Too smart, too fat, or just plain too small. Do you guys remember being 13? Remember what it was like to be a teenager years ago for some, not too many years ago for some. For some, it's an event right now. And it's, it's not an easy season, right? There's hormones and heaviness all over the place in those years. I was, I can remember back hearing, uh, I think it was David Pallison was describing something. I think it was a thing that Peter and I had attended for learning some things about counseling, and he, he referred to high school as the chalkboard jungle. I thought, ah, oh, that's a good phrase. It's a jungle in there. I mean, actually, recently I walked through a high school. I was going to, to vote and uh, walked in, and there were all these signs, sort of these anti-bullying signs. You know, apparently bullying has really gotten the attention of the school system, and they're just trying to do a better job at at helping to demotivate bullying. But do you remember? Do you remember bullying? Right? I mean, whether you were on the giving end or the receiving end, if you were on the giving end of bullying, you had to make sure that you stayed on top of your throne, that nobody dethroned you. So you lived in fear that somebody else would knock you off the high point. If you were the receiver of bullying, uh, like you were in some movie like Mean Girls or something, uh, you just constantly were in fear of how you were going to be mistreated next. Right? I mean, if I just ask the teenagers, if you could be real honest, and this is a sad thing for a lot of teenagers, and I hope this isn't the way it is in the church, that, that you don't even have the freedom from fear to be honest about how hard it is to be a teenager in front of each other, in the church, in your family, right? to be able to say, I'm not doing well, I'm scared to death of that, of that person, of this season in my life, of how I'm going to be treated. Listen, the church ought to be that way. All right, when teenagers get together and we have meetings, it's table talk, whatever it is. I wonder when it was the last time any teenager would say, you know what, I can remember when somebody in the group confessed how scared they were about things, how afraid of people they are, how hard it is to try and fit in. All right, those are realities in our lives. And then teenage years give way to this season. It was the night before my first date and it's already begun. Years of obsession of whether I'm the one. That someone will want me above all the rest. Or will I stay single? Because I'm not the best. Right, do you remember the years of, would I ever get married? I got, I got married at 27. So I had, a, I had a few years of walking through the big question of, you know, will, I be, will I find someone? Will someone find me? Will someone be happy with me the way I am? Will they be attracted to me? Uh, once they get to know me, 
once they figure out my plot line of life is only about two paragraphs deep, will they be done with me at that point, that I'm just a boring person? Uh, you remember having to wade through those things? And some of you guys right now are living in a season where it's not peace and joy, is it? It's a season of singleness, and there's a lot of fear that it's not going to change, and it's not going to get better. It's going to stay like that. It was the night before the interview, and somehow I knew it. My grades, my resume, I'm sure that I blew it. Who am I? What am I without a career, a nobody, a nothing? That's what I fear. Many people live through that season of their life. Just try, they're just trying to be defined by something, having the hardest time being defined by anything. Who am I? I'm nothing because, because I don't have some dollar signs floating around my life or some title or something that people call successful. They live in the fear of that. It was the night before surgery, and my mind was racing. Was this just a moment or the end I was facing? My years of good health have gone by so fast. I fear the best years are now in the past. Right, some of you know what it is to move into that place where your body just is no longer safe. <laughs> it's no longer predictable. Uh, you don't know what diagnosis might mean. You, you're scared to go to the doctor to hear the next report because of what it might sound like. Have you ever noticed that, that there's a lot of fear in life? At whatever season you're in, fear is a very accessible reality in our lives. Have you ever associated the incarnation, the Christmas story, with the solution to your fears? Have you ever thought when you come to this season, it's that story right there that, that sets me free from fear in life to live, not just in a season, but every day of my life? Look in verse 14. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all of those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Have you, have you ever associated the manger scene, the Christmas story, God putting on flesh with this? That he's doing that right there in order to destroy the devil and to deliver us from the sort of fear that the devil swings at us throughout our lives. Have you ever thought that's the gift I'm receiving in receiving this work of the incarnation, this story of Christmas and one of the things that we did starting the Christmas season this year is actually did a little devotional with the kids out of this passage. Because sometimes Christmas is irrelevant to life. It's a break. It's a vacation. It's a holiday. It's a distraction. But in reality, you're never a few inches removed from something you're afraid of. Never. It's so close by. And yet here is, here is a story that says there's a way out of that fear. There's a deliverance from that Fear. Now, when you come across, because I know this is a passage that highlights death, right, the ultimate thing that we're afraid of. But when you, when you come across death in the Bible, make sure you don't, don't narrow it too much. Death in the Bible is not just about checking to see whether you have a pulse or not. It's not just about when your last heartbeat 
expires, okay, now you're experiencing death. No, because remember, Adam and Eve were told that they were going to experience death the moment that they disobeyed God. And yet, the moment they disobeyed God, they still had a pulse. They were still walking around. They were still doing life. They still had a relationship with each other. There was still a garden. But they were dead. So you can be alive and be experiencing death. And so I think the fear of death, it obviously has to do with that reality that these lives are going to expire at some point. But I think it has to do with separation as well, separation from the things that we call life. Look in verse 16 because that's what the Christmas story is about. It's about solving separation. Verse 16, for surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Right? In, 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 in the Christmas story, in the busyness, in the Starbucks changing colors, uh, there's, there's not any mention of sin, right? Sin is in the Christmas story, though, the real incarnation Christmas story. Sin is the chief culprit behind which why there is this experiencing of death and separation. And interesting in this passage, like in verse 16, I'm sorry, verse 17, he had to be made like his brother. See, the Christmas story, unlike some other stories even in the Bible, had to happen. Right? Samson, I don't know that Samson had to happen. Right, the Samson story. I'm sure there's other Samson stories we don't even have recorded in the Bible. That didn't have to happen. It reveals some things about God, but it didn't have to happen. The incarnation, it has to happen. God has to put on a human being outfit. That has to happen. It's not a colorful story that, you know that the Bible is just this collection of cool, weird stories, right? Now that would be a cool, weird story. God born in a manger. And we can make it kind of like, oh, it could be pressing and urgent. They show up in a town. Oh, when, oh, there's no room in the inn. Yeah, write that down. There's no room in the inn. Yeah, and then they got to go get born in a manger. That just sounds so much more interesting. This is not a story like it could have happened or it could not have happened. It had to happen. It had to happen. And there's a little weird word in this, this particular Christmas story that tells you why it had to happen. It's the word propitiation. That's why it had to happen. It, it didn't have to happen for what most people figure out in the Christmas story. The world's a tough place. We should all just hold hands, sing, and try and get along. And, and to do that, we're going to need a little bit of human improvement. So, you know, we need to adjust our lives a little bit. You know, so we, we like to teach the world to sing and three-part harmony, and I'd like to just buy the world a Coke, and uh, <laughs> right, we could all just get along. Why can't people just get along? You know, so, you know, all the rock stars come together, and they make these songs about feeding people on the other side of the world, and they're anti-war, and you know, why don't we just all just decide to get along, for goodness sake? Uh, okay, there's a lot of religions that are out there, that that's what the game is all about. Just improve human life. Get along. Listen, that's not what the Christmas story is about. 
Jesus had to become a man. He had to become a man so that he could become that, what that next verse says, he could become a high priest. A priest is one who stands in between two groups. One who needs to be satisfied and the other who needs to be forgiven. That's where a priest stands. Jesus had to be that priest. Now, interestingly, that priest had to fully be a human being because that priest was going to need to be able to shed blood and die. He was going to have to take on death. And so he, this isn't just an interesting story, right? This is what makes Christianity unique above all other religions in the world, that God became a man so that he could wrap himself as a human being and stand as a representative for all of us. And he could die as a man in our place so that he could acquire forgiveness for us to give that to us. Now, do you understand? There's no other religion that does that. Do you understand? There's no other religion out there that achieves something on your behalf to give to you as a gift to completely change your life. Every other religious teaching basically says, here's some ideas, here's some rules, here's something about God, now you start getting like that. And it puts all the weight on you changing your own life in order to improve your life. And we can all hold hands and drink a Coke. Except for Christianity. He had to be made like his brother's. He had to become a man. Why? Because of that word propitiation. I know that's a word you use every day around the table, right? Well, it's a a word that has to do with God being satisfied. The condition of man, God is not satisfied. For him to become satisfied, some human being is going to have to live a perfect life. Someone's got to do it right. Well, ain't nobody available. So God had to be made as a man. He had to come. When you, kids, when you look on the manger scene, don't just see animals and magi. See that God had to become that little baby. He had to do it. If he had not become a man, you and I could never have been saved because there never would have been a champion called a human being who could have ever satisfied God. Now, could there have been people who would have lived a better life than the next human being and could have taught some of us how to live a better life? Sure, there's motivational speakers everywhere. There's people who live noble lives all over the place. There's lots of human beings that you and I could admire for a bunch of reasons. That's not what Jesus was coming to do. This story in a manger is about God having to become a man so that he could overcome sin that separated us from him, right? It was the night before living I feared I must face till I remembered the one who had taken my place. He killed separation from the Father above And made me forever joined to his love. That's the Christmas story. And now, what what has that got to do with fear? What has it got to do with being seven years old or 13 years old or single or facing some difficult diagnosis? 
But you and I live with this battle with fear. And quite honestly, fear and death kind of have this partnership. Let me just draw in this conversation from Ed Welch. He says, one of the things we value is life. So it isn't surprising that death hovers right below the surface of many fears. If we want fear to loosen its grip, we have to deal with death head on. See, that's where the lifelong slavery of fear comes in. The devil will keep you in lifelong slavery until you solve the issue of death. Look at this thought. He says, anytime you love or want something deeply, you will notice fear and anxieties because you might not get them. Anytime you can't control the fate of those things you want or love, you will notice fears and anxieties because you might lose them, right? Not getting something, losing something, they're both forms of death. They're aspects of separation. Whatever it is for you that most matters to you, whether you're seven years old, whether you're a teenager, whether you're looking to get married, whether you're needing a certain job, or whether your physical health is declining, whatever your story is, there's something for you that you have called vital to your existence. And if you sense any separation growing in your life from that, you watch how much anxiety and fear begins to ruminate and live with you. One more more thought from Mr. Welch here. There's a close connection between what we fear and what we think we need. If we need comfort, we will fear physical pain. If we need approval from others, we will fear being criticized. If we need love, we will fear rejection. If we need admiration for our attractiveness, we will fear getting fat. Whatever you need is a mere stone's throw from what you fear. So, So what do I really need? What do you really need? But before I conclude us today, actually when uh, kids and we did this, I didn't start with this passage. I I start by asking this question. Maybe it's a good question for all of us to think for a second. What are you afraid of right now? Don't stare at me, think. It's a real question. (laughs) What are you afraid? afraid of right now. I mean, you look around, there's young, old, there's kids, there's marrieds and singles, there's healthy and unhealthy. Do you understand how many things we could be afraid of in this room today? What are you afraid of right now? See, the reason why the devil can get active in your life in that category is because you're convinced that you need that. And he can make you terrified if you don't have it. Well, my question is, what do you really, really need? Well, you needed the incarnation. You needed God to become a man so that he could die and take your place and break down the dividing wall of sin that separated you from what you really, really need more than anything else. You need God. That's what you need. Whatever it is that you're afraid of, it probably has sort of taken the place of God in some way. 
It's become critical, vital, most important to you. And you believe if you don't have that, and then along comes something, and the devil begins to tamper with that, and he looks like he's going to kill it. And the fear in life is awaiting you every day of your life. Let me paraphrase our passage. Since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself put on flesh and blood so that he could die a death that would have the power to rescue those children from the fear of living but not having life. He came to die so that he could destroy separation from God so that no one would have to face the nights of our lives without the one who is our life, even if it was the night before my last day on earth. What if tomorrow it's not Christmas for you? It's your last day here. Are you afraid? This is why the Son of God came to deliver us from fear. Matt, go ahead and come back up. We close with our last line to the Christmas poem. "'Twas the night before dying, I would live here no more. My days have been numbered, and I stand at death's door. I know not what fear is, and I haven't a care.'" My Savior rescued me from a life of despair. Listen, you and I have the benefit today of it being Christmas Eve. In a little while, it'll be the night before Christmas. And then right after that season ends, It's going to be the night before you turn seven or the night before you turn 13 or the night before your first date or the night before your job interview or the night before you get the report back from the doctor. It's going to be one of those nights real soon. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 2, that's the Christmas story. It's not just a story about a setting in a manger and shepherds and lights in the sky and amazing things on that night. It's about God coming to deliver you and me from fear by tearing down the separation between us and him so that he might be to us all that we need. Or maybe you're here today and and fear is very familiar to you. Maybe, maybe you're here today and, and you know the Christmas story. You're familiar with the Christmas story. But the Christmas story and the reality of who Jesus Christ is, it's never come into your life and separated you from those fears. Well, this morning can be that night. All right, how many of you guys got, you know, if you're on top of your game, you got at least a couple of presents underneath the tree right now wrapped. Can I see your hands? How many of y'all got nothing wrapped? You got a busy day ahead of you. All right. <laughs> uh, all right, there's, there's some gift probably for you underneath a tree somewhere that you suspect what it is, but you're not quite sure really what it is. Right? It's not likely that many of you are going to sit around the tree tonight and tomorrow 
and just leave it there unopened. You kind of know, you know, my wife's been talking about getting me that for a while. and I'm pretty sure what's in it. It's going to leave it there. You're going to open that thing, and you're going to see it. Put your hands on it. Listen, there's this gift from God. It came in the form of a baby being born in a manger. And I know you know the story. But listen, i got to be real with you. For some, if fear is more real to you than the effect of that story, then maybe you know the story, but it's still wrapped up inside of some package, sitting in some place in your life. It's sitting under a tree somewhere. You know it's there, but you personally, you've never opened it. You've never received into your own life. That's why fear is more real to you than God and his purpose. That's why you're so convinced this past year was filled with such difficulties because you were so afraid you were going to lose that, lose that person, lose that job, lose that income, lose that group of friends, lose the approval of this person, or stay single for yet another year. I mean, it's, it's New Year's Eve is coming, right? Is that, is that like the worst night on the calendar for a single person? Come on. I was single till I was 27. It's a terrible night, isn't it? And you just feel like, okay, what, what is this year just more the same? Am I ever going to get married? And fear just rises up in your heart. Listen, you don't need those things the way you think you need them. What you needed came in the form of a baby born in a manger, a means of being restored to God so that he could be to you all that you needed. And once he's all that you need, there's not a thing the devil can say any longer to you to stir up fear in your life. He can no longer convince you that you're going to ever be separated from what you need. He can't threaten you with death because what you need is dwelling inside of you. All right, listen, if you've, if you've never opened that gift for yourself, please don't tell me you're aware it's under the tree. Look, I grew up being aware it was under the tree, and I also knew what it was to live with my stomach in my throat because I was afraid of all kinds of things in life. But what a day when you open that gift and Jesus Christ really does become your Savior. He saves you from yourself. He saves you from those fears. And he comes into your life. Well, how does that happen? Well, tonight, tomorrow, you're going to actually put your hands on something and tear it open and, and receive it to yourself. Well, that's kind of what you do with faith. You don't do it with your hands. You do it with your faith. You do it with that thing inside of you that wants to hope in something. That's what faith is. You take that thing that wants to hope in something and you take it away from, I hope I'll be married. I hope the diagnosis isn't bad. I, I hope I'm going to be okay. Take it away from that this morning and give it to Jesus Christ, the babe who grew up to be the, the Savior on a cross, to unite you to God. Put your faith and your hope in him. Right now, you can do that this morning. What a gift. Don't leave it under the tree. People walk in churches all the time. Hear this story and leave it under a tree. Don't do that. If you want to open that gift, I'm going to let us bow our heads for a moment in prayer. And you open it right here this morning. You receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let's bow our heads together. Father, I thank you for this amazing story. Lord, I thank you for the Christmas story in Hebrews chapter 2, whether we knew it was there or not. What an explanation. 
you were doing and coming to this earth was delivering us from fear and from lives where the, the devil himself was creeping around our house looking for every opportunity to sow despair into our lives. But Lord, you have come. And Lord, for some here this morning, maybe this morning's finally the morning, they open that present, that gift of your son, and are joined to you forever. Never to have to live another moment afraid they won't have life, whether they're a teenager or whether they're 78 waiting for a report from a doctor. Lord, nothing can separate us from the love of God. If you're here this morning with your head bowed, and just talk to God for a moment. God looks for faith in your heart. That's what he's looking for. You have faith this morning? Do you want to do what I said earlier? You just want to transfer the hope for your future, for your life, for your eternity, from whatever it is you've been hoping in. You want to transfer that to Jesus Christ, to be your Savior, to unite you back to God, to, to bring you into an intimate relationship with God the Father that will satisfy your soul. If you want to do that right now, tell Him you want to do that. Turn to Him. Tell Him you're going to give up all the other hopes that you've been putting your life into. You're going to put those down. and You're turning away from those things. And you're going to put your hope in Jesus Christ, the one who came, born, to unite you back to God. Tell God you want that this morning. Tell him, Lord, this morning I'm opening that gift. I've known that gift was there. Lord, I know it was available. But this morning, God, I'm opening it. I'm tearing that box open. I want you to come into my life. Come make all the difference in the world. Come set me free from teenage fears of people and my life and who I am and who I'm not. God, I don't want to live in that kind of fear anymore. I want to have a life of joy and peace 365 days of the year. Lord, whether I'm a single person or maybe I'm here in a marriage that's difficult or falling apart, maybe I'm single or maybe I'm single again and Lord there's just been a lot of fear this morning Lord I turn to you I put my hope in you you will never leave me you will never forsake me you came to unite me back to God this morning by faith I receive you Lord Jesus as my Savior in Jesus name Amen Let's stand up together and close in song. of God in hell. 